Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app you can then become vulnerable to this. And so I think teaching our children, especially our young girls, that you are priceless in the eyes of God and that your worth is not dependent on what you look like or what anyone else thinks of you, but what God thinks of you. Fitness and wellness expert, naturopath, and adventure enthusiast, Wendy Pett. And my husband, Todd Isburner. He's a fundraising guru, men's mentor, and Bible scholar. And as a couple, we're going to share riveting breakthrough stories from our guests who've experienced the meaning of a changed life. Our hope is that you will be inspired, equipped, and entertained along your own life journey. So lean in, listen well. This could be your biggest breakthrough. Hey there, and welcome to this episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough. I'm Wendy Pett. I'm Todd Isburner. And we're so glad you're joining us here today. We sure are. Yeah. Yeah, this is a big, big episode. We're touching on a, on a topic that's, that's pretty hard to talk about. Well, it is, and that's primarily because we just don't know that much about it. Right. Or we've got wrong information about it. But that's going to change. Or blinders on the about next, it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. going to change within the next 30 to 40 minutes. Yes, yes. So according to the International Labor Organization, there are 40.3 million victims of human trafficking globally. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, with thousands in the United States alone. Human trafficking is an issue that's taken center stage as numerous celebrities and businesses and organizations increase awareness to combat this modern day slavery. Yes. And our guest today knows about this all too well. Her name is Holly Christine Hayes, and she's the founder and CEO of The Sanctuary Project. It's a survivor-run nonprofit social enterprise uh, employing and empowering women who've survived lives of trafficking, violence, and addiction. And she's based right now currently in Austin, Texas. But nearly 20 years ago, in tears, on the floor of a public restroom, Holly Christine Hayes breathed a simple but powerful prayer, and it was just this, God, help me. Later that day, after years of addiction and abuse, Holly met a stranger who helped get her into a recovery program, enabling her to escape the horrors that she had known. Now, many, many years recovered, Holly has founded Sanctuary Project, which I said is a nonprofit jewelry enterprise that employs and empowers survivors of that trafficking, violence, and addiction. And uh, I love what she's doing with this. Sanctuary oh, Project, yeah. uh, founded just two and a half years ago, has provided more than 10,000 hours of employment to 26 women Amazing. coming out of trafficking and violence and addiction. And 100% of their sales go directly to providing employment and job training for other women. Uh, she's uh, an award-winning, I love this, an mm-hmm. award-winning author of the book From Basement to Sanctuary. And Holly is uh, passionate about sharing her vulnerable journey of healing. She speaks in jails, churches, recovery communities, and conferences all over the globe about transformation from trauma and the Redeemer who can lift any life from the pit. Mm. Do you love that? Mm-hmm. Holly and her husband, Jeff, enjoy life on a hobby farm and vineyard outside of Austin with their chickens, goats, cows, dogs, and <laughs> man, got a farm going and their one-year-old daughter, Havana. Actually, I think she's almost two now. I, I follow uh, I follow her yeah. on Instagram. It's a cute family. But we want to welcome Miss Holly 
to the program. Welcome to your biggest breakthrough. Well, hello. Thank you so much for having me. You don't look like a farm girl to uh, me, but man. Yeah, I, I keep it fancy. I'm fancy farm, you know? <laughs> she is fancy farm. <laughs> That's funny. I love it. So Havana, is she almost two? She'll be two, yes, she... in just a couple yeah, of weeks. Two. Almost two years old. Aww. I can't believe wow. how fast it goes. You just have goes. a precious family. Thank you. Yeah. God has been good Aww. to us. Well, you have... We're going to dive right in because you have been through so much and you you uh, come from a, speaking from a place of authority in this topic. And I know you've you have such a heart to help educate people mm-hmm. because I think there are so many blinders on about sex trafficking and what's going on in this world. It's like, oh, no, it's not happening in this country. Yeah. Um, but why don't we talk a little bit about the the facts about mm-hmm. uh, human trafficking right now? Yes. Yeah, so there is, uh, there's so much misinformation out there about trafficking. Um, there's so little information out there about trafficking. We're just now starting to collect some of the data and stats that we really need to look at this as a global problem and, um, and specifically what it looks like here in the United States. You know, when you talk about the, the 40 million plus that are being trafficked worldwide, a lot of that is labor trafficking um, in, in uh, impoverished nations. And, and that's a massive issue that, that kind of started coming to light probably about 20 years ago. And we started asking questions about where are my clothes made and who's making them and, and, um, and how can we fight for fair trade in that way. Um, but then there's the other side of that, which is sex trafficking. And um, I think for a long time, people thought that was an over there problem too, and thought that that was happening in Southeast Asia and in Africa and, you know, in, um, in countries where, where there's a lot of poverty and where children were being sold by their parents often in, in these rural villages to men in the big city and, and chained in brothels. But what we don't talk a lot about is what is what does that look like here in America? Um, and what does sex trafficking look like here in America? And so I love sharing my story because I think it is a, a very typical one for what we see here in America. Um, I grew up in a good family. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and both my parents were in education, and I was um, provided all the opportunities that that someone would want or need in life. And um, but there was some trauma in my young life. I was there was some sexual abuse from a caretaker that left an imprint on me, and then my parents got divorced in those very very vital years between ages 13 and 14, where there was a lot of formation happening in my heart and soul. And, um, and that marriage falling apart around that time also left a toll on, on me. And, uh, and around that time, I discovered drugs and alcohol and had a really abnormal reaction to drugs and alcohol and really started to use it to escape from a very young age. And, um, and that escape led to just darker and darker places and, and more, um, more dangerous relationships over the years and, uh, and ultimately led to a really vulnerable situation for me. Um, I, w- I was 19 when I met my trafficker and I met him at a party. And at the time I was drinking and using drugs quite heavily. And I think it was very clear that that had been my life. Um, and, and, you know, the most, most of the people I was hanging out with at that time were also drinking and using heavily. And, and so um, that was the circles I was running in and, and it had progressed so quickly for me. You know, I went from this good kid at 13 and a good student to drinking and using drugs daily by the time I was 15, dropping out of high school at 16, getting into abusive relationships around 17, 18. Um, I had my first of five abortions when I was 16. And so all of it started to just progress very quickly for me. So by the time I was 19, I was actually quite hopeless. 
And, um, and when I met this man, when I met my trafficker, I actually felt hope for the first time because here was this man that was actually taking an interest in me. He seemed to really care about my life. And he seemed to relate to a lot of the things I've been through. He had had sort of a hard life and past as well. And so I felt really seen and I felt loved and I felt valued and I hadn't felt those things in a long time. I now know that a lot of what he was doing in those early days was what's called grooming. He was making me feel special. He was making me feel seen. He was making me feel um, treasured and uh, important to him. Uh, But very quickly, I learned he had other women. And very quickly, that relationship became abusive. And I started to feel trapped. And he started to isolate me from um, any relationships I had with friends or family members at that time. Um, He encouraged me to stop paying rent on the little apartment I was subletting at that time. And um, I ended up getting evicted with nowhere to go. And, um, And he said, well, just come and live with me. I'll take care of you. And so he had set up this scenario where he had made me feel valuable and important, but then would do things to to um, diminish my value as well and um, and make me feel like I needed him. And so once he had set up this scenario exactly the way he had planned, he um, he began suggesting that he could sell me, um, and what that meant was you know um, selling me to other men for you know um, uh, for sex. And I um, you know at the time because I was so beaten down and so lost that when he suggested this, it actually felt like he was telling me that I had value. You know, here I thought I had no value and and he was saying, men will pay for you. You're valuable. And that was the way it was presented to me. Um, I started, I started doing that. At- Holly, can I just stop you for just a second? Cause I'm yeah. just, cause you just, you're raising all kinds of questions in my mind about that, that those chaotic years between age 13 and 19. I was just thinking if, if you had someone who could show you legitimate support like he was trying to show you, but it was legitimate and for your your good, not for your harm, wouldn't things have turned out so much differently? So I guess the question is for those who are, who are, who are listening is find someone in that similar situation or themselves. Like it's, it's finding the right kind of support that can be there for your good and not for your bad. And so was there anybody around you at that time that was trying to kind of make up for the the things that you were feeling on the inside so undervalued? Yeah. yeah, when those yeah. when those people came along that were healthy, that were trying to make a positive impact in my life, I um, I wanted nothing to do with them. I think I was just so uh-huh. self destructive at that time, and so I think it's you know I, I I do think that we need to try when there are people who are hitting bottom around us. I do think we need to be there and be a presence. Some of those people that were trying at that time are in my life today, are still dear friends mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. even though I pushed them away during those years. Um, including my family, who I'm close with today, but but had pushed away during those years, and so I think you know I think it's important to try, but I think we also have to really let people hit bottom for themselves sometimes, mm-hmm. and that was that was my story. I think I needed to I needed to hit a place of just absolute surrender, and um, and for me that that meant kind of wrecking my life, um, but in order to hit that point where I was really willing to say I can't do this on my own. I need help and it's got to come from, um, from healthy people and from, you know, a God that I didn't even know or understand existed at that point in my life. And Holly, I think about um, 
women just like you and young young um, young women that are looking for that validation. And yeah. and when you were pushing away, you know, the the dark pushes away the light, right? Yes. They don't want to yeah. <laughs> to see the light, or, or because you know you know what's good for you. You're in kind of you're in your own God kind of mode. And, um, and you don't see it at the time, but, um, I'm just, I'm so grateful that the God shook you up and you did hit rock bottom because it is out of that rock bottom for so many of us. And, and I can speak yes for me too, but how we can overcome and be in a different place. And what you're doing now with your rock bottom is amazing. How, how God is just a topsy turvy God and using it all for his good and your glory and his glory. Uh, but what about, uh, the woman, the young girl that um, doesn't really see the deception. Like, what would you tell her that her? I mean, with her heart being her heart being hardened, what would you say? How would you say to to soften that heart and to listen to others around her? You know, I think that deep down, I did know. I did know how destructive this relationship was. I knew how destructive my lifestyle was. And so I think I would say to anyone who might be listening right now, um, maybe you've stumbled across this. Maybe someone sent you this podcast and and you're, you're listening right now, there is more for you. And, um, you know, I think there was this belief I had that because I had messed up in my life or made bad choices or had fallen into this, you know, kind of this bad crowd or had dropped out of high school or whatever it was, I had, I had started to believe that this was just all there was for me. And, um, and I think that that's a message I see really common in, in women I work with, um, that we've, we sort of have acquiesced ourselves to this life of every once in a while I get beat up, every once in a while I get arrested, every once in a while I, I end up in a dangerous situation with a, with a man. Um, and I think I just would want to say to that girl, you do not have to settle for that life. There is, there is an, there's unlimited potential for a new life. And, um, and you're worth it. You're worth so much more than you think you are. Well, you can speak from experience. So, uh, because you've experienced that breakthrough, but take us back. And I kind of feel like I'm on the edge of my chair to what happened when you're 19 years old. And he's now, uh, pretty much convinced you that your value is in, in being sold. So take uh, pick up the story from there. So I hated it. Um, you know, I, I started, um, you know, doing, doing this and, um, and immediately just felt so uncomfortable in in my spirit, mind, soul, body, everything. I knew this wasn't right. And, uh, and I hated it. And I kept getting drunk and high and not showing up for the jobs he was lining up for me. And so he kicked me out. Um, so I like to say, you think that the lowest you can go in society is being trafficked. Nope. I went one lower and actually failed at being trafficked. And, <laughs> Got got kicked Honestly, out. Honestly, <laughs> I want to put a pin in that because um, I heard you on another podcast, and this is what really I um, appreciated about your story is that you were willing willing to go um, just even deeper behind beyond the the failed lowest uh, lowest of low point. That oh no, I even got kicked out of there, and yeah. being just authentic and raw about that, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's that says a lot, and you have to, yeah. um, you know, and to overcome that. You know, how do you, how'd you hear the voice of God to overcome it? Yeah. I mean, ultimately that's like the greatest rejection, right? Like even your trafficker doesn't want you anymore. Like <laughs> that's like, you're done, you know, um, <laughs> that's the bottom, that's the bottom. That's as low as it goes. But yeah, I, um, so I was homeless at that point and, um, and on February 10th of 2001, I was homeless and abandoned by everyone. And I knew, and, uh, including my trafficker and lost in my addiction still. And, um, 
and was on the floor of a public bathroom just crying and watching my tears hit the floor. And I just said three words. I said, God, help me. And at the time, I didn't believe in God. I had no experience with God. I didn't know any God people, anyone who seemed gaudy. I would push them away. I mean, it was like, no, no, thank you. You know, don't come near me. Like you were saying earlier, the light, that light that that Jesus-y people or God people shown, I didn't want it anywhere near my life. Um, you know, that it, it, I just repelled from it. And, um, but yet in that moment, all I could think to say was, God, help me. And that very night, I ended up meeting someone who got me into a recovery program. I've been sober since that day from the trafficker and, and that relationship and, um, and have, um, and, and since that day, really been on this journey for the last 20 years of restoring my own life and heart, but then ultimately getting to work with other women to help them find their biggest breakthrough and restore their life and heart as well. I love that, Holly. And what it reminds me, um, for those that are listening, never just dismiss that, that that urge to speak out and and help somebody to just say, Hey, how are you? Or to lend a helping hand or invite them to go to a recovery meeting or whatever the case may be because of this stranger that entered your life and God answered your prayer, then things turned around. And so any of us could be that stranger to somebody else's um, deep, deep need and Mm. desire. Absolutely. We want to talk a lot about your work with the Sanctuary Project Mm -hmm. because that is so fascinating and so cool the way God is using that. But let's just hit a couple of other things before we get there. And one of them is, you know, you you were in a vulnerable place and what what factors do you think make up for that for for yourself back then or for other uh, young girls who are just at that stage in life, whatever the age is, 12, 13, 14, right in there, that makes them vulnerable to the exploitation of trafficking? Yeah. And what can parents look for? Yeah. You know, the biggest thing was probably self-esteem, just that sense of self-worth and value. And so I think uh, what I, the advice I like to give parents is just make sure your children feel so valuable, make sure they feel mm. so loved. Um, you know, I have never seen a woman come into my care who has been trafficked, who, who says, I felt loved and valued growing up. And then this happened, right? Um, because uh, yeah, yeah. traffickers right. know exactly who to target. Um, they're smart. They're not going around kidnapping healthy, well-adjusted children. Mm. And that's a real misconception that's out there about trafficking. Like no one's going to yeah. sneak into yes. my window at night and kidnap my little Havana, who's, you know, whose parents are obsessed with her and, and know where she is at every moment of every day. And, and, you know, that's just, they want easy targets, right? That's just not how it works. They're, right. they're going after girls that they see are putting themselves out there on social media, trying to get attention, trying to get likes. Um, they're looking for those girls that are um, that are insecure, because that's exactly who they can say you have value. You're worth what a man will pay for you, and uh, and so that I I know that that's the energy I was putting out there, and a lot of that was um, was circumstantial based on the the sexual abuse, and then a lot of that was because of my parents' divorce and just um, and and all of it could have been sort of treated with um, understanding my identity in Christ and having a faith, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, I think that had I grown up with a, a sense of faith or or a value, an inherent sense of value that I was mm-hmm. fearfully and wonderfully made, a lot of that would have been um, would have taken away that insecurity. And then the other thing is economic just, insecurity. Yeah, what what an epidemic we have with the millions of of human trafficking uh, that is that's going on with sex trafficking and labor trafficking. But is it's basically an epidemic of women and men not understanding and knowing their worth. Absolutely. And so, like you said, even 
even uh, financially. And, and that is, is an issue too, coming from a place maybe of, of I'm just desperate. Yeah. I, I need to provide. I need, I'm a single mom or whatever the case may be. And so it's out of desperation too, right? Yes, totally. And that's such a great way to put it. I mean, you know, even when you look at labor trafficking overseas, it's humans not knowing their worth. It's humans not being able to stand up and say, no, I'm better than this. I, I deserve fair wages. I deserve a safe working environment. With labor trafficking, that's absolutely an issue we see. And then with sex trafficking, it's so manipulated. And, you know, I think in our society, women are just told you're, you know, you are your appearance, you are your um, you are your gene size, whatever it is. And so even from a very young age, girls are getting these messages that, um, that, you know, I need to be perfect and beautiful in order to be loved. And, and there's, and then there's bullying happening in schools for anyone who doesn't fit that perfect image. And so as soon as you, you know, I think anyone can be vulnerable to that growing up, as soon as you start to believe things about yourself that are false, that, um, you know, that you're not valuable, you can then become vulnerable to this. And so I think teaching our children, especially our young girls, that you are priceless in the eyes of God and that your worth is not dependent on what you look like or what anyone else thinks of you, but what God thinks of you. Wow. Shout that one Uh from the rooftops, Holly, because (laughs) what you're saying is so simple, so basic, but so overlooked. And if we're going to fault ourselves in anything, it's going to be that we just haven't put enough effort into building up the self-esteem and value of those mm-hmm. under our care. And maybe uh, maybe you don't have parents who really know how to do that. Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle and you can speak that into the life of your nephew or your niece. But there are always young people around us that we can make an effort to build them up and yeah. to equivocate their value with something different than their appearance or their their yeah. socioeconomic status. And to help them receive yeah. that truth. Because yeah. sometimes that's yeah. the blockage. Yeah. They, they can't yeah. even receive that they're loved. They just don't even believe it. They, well, they're don't, just, stop, don't let that stop you yeah. from keeping yeah. it up. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. what, what would you say to your younger self, Holly? You know, I, I remember when I was about 30 and, you know, not growing up with a faith and, um, and not having, uh, you know, kind of I, now I think it's, I think it's probably something you learned in like Sunday school or, you know, or, um, at some point in, in, in life, others may have been taught that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. But I remember when I learned it for the first time and I was, I was 30 years old and I was at a, a small, uh, little, uh, I was actually supposed to be one of the leaders for this little middle school gathering. And, and, uh, and the girl who was talking about it and teaching about it started teaching this. And I was like in tears, I couldn't even believe that God had actually made me exactly the way he wanted to make me that it wasn't, I would be fearfully and wonderfully made if I was a little bit prettier, a little bit shorter, a little bit skinnier, a little bit, whatever, you know, it was, it was just the way I am that, and not just my physical appearance, but my interior as well my oversensitivity yes. that i'd always hated my um my my mm. flair for for drama my obsession with all things girly and fashion and and all of that that he had actually created all of that for the good works he prepared in advance for me to do and i think if i could talk to little holly i would be like oh girl there is not one mistake in you everything about you is intentional everything about the way you were made is for plans he has for you in your life um, because I spent so many years, so much of my young life, hating little things about myself and 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 thinking I could be okay or like myself or I would be loved if I was just a little bit different in, in these ways, if I looked a little different or or acted a little different or just had it a little more together in these certain ways or 
Um, and, and I think um, understanding that today is really where I, I'm able to operate from and, and live into the mission and calling God has on my life, knowing that he created me for, for this work he has for me today. Wow. Yes. You talk about a breakthrough. That's a big one. From the, like, that's the before <laughs> and after picture that you're painting for us. And you're, you're giving all the credit to the Lord for what he'd already put inside of you from the very start. Mm. And the, it comes to mind just the scriptures about being renewed in our mind and being transformed. And uh, you truly have gone through that. And I think that's probably why you're so passionate about helping others. So let's talk a little bit about the Sanctuary Project. How did that come to be? What's this all about? So I first visited uh, Thailand in 2011 and saw an organization there called Nightlight that was doing really beautiful work, um, working with the women coming out of the brothels, coming out of trafficking and teaching them to make jewelry. And I saw them all sitting in a circle together and making jewelry together. And, and after they finished each piece, someone would hold it up and say, look at this one, look what I made. And all the other girls would say, wow, it's so beautiful. And I saw this sense of self-esteem start to develop in the girls where they went from someone who was supposed to be this beautiful thing for sale on, on a bar platform to I'm someone who makes beautiful things. I'm someone who makes beautiful things. And I was so inspired by that. And um, I thought at one point I might move overseas and, and work with um, some of those organizations doing that work. And um, But then I, I, when I got married and moved from uh, from Paris, France to Austin, Texas, I realized that um, that there was no one doing that work here that, you know, there's no one actually doing, uh, pulling the girls out of trafficking and, and making jewelry with them here in the States. And I, I began to, um, feel this call to, to do this work here. And, you know, one of the things I'd always been frustrated about with sort of the compassion jewelry industry is that it wasn't, um, they weren't making things that were on trend. So I would, I would buy these things as like a compassion piece. I would say, Oh, look at the cute beaded bracelet. I'll buy it because girls made it. And, um, but then I wouldn't wear it because never wear it. <laughs> yeah. Because, and, and then I'd go to Nordstrom and buy my actual jewelry that I wore every day. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I, um, I really felt this desire to, to create a brand that, um, that's on trend and that that's um, what we would be wearing anyway. And, um, and to make something that's, that reflects the the actual beauty and, um, and value that, that uh, I see in the women I get to work with and mentor. So, um, so I created Sanctuary Project in uh, February of, two, of 2018. Um, so we just celebrated three years in February, and it's just been incredible to see it working. To see this, you know, this little dream that God birthed in me. Um, to see it going out into the world with power, with His power on it, and to see it working not just to transform lives and and heal hearts, but also to 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 spread this message. Um, to see people shopping our line and wearing our products and talking about it and um, and talking about what trafficking looks like here in the states that that it isn't just an over there problem that it's a here problem and that there's something we can do about it that we can fight for freedom for these girls through economic empowerment. Amen. And Sanctuary um, Project is not just um, doing well, it's doing fantastic because you have a new partnership with Target. Yeah. I mean, that yeah, wow. is amazing. Talk about God just opening up the door to, to a greater thing because this is a movement and this is um, something obviously that's, that's on his heart and he has paved the way and, and nothing is wasted. And so that little uh, girl that was into fashion and, and drama yeah. and all the things, I mean, nothing's wasted. It's coming yeah. forth now in your jewelry. And I just love all that you're doing. And, and I think about the women that you are mentoring. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that because I, I love that you are 
are are walking them through their own process and their own journey, helping them get to a safe, healthy place. Can you tell us what that looks like? Most of the the girls I'm meeting, I'm meeting them uh, for the first time in Travis County Jail, our, our local jail here, and. Um, you know, and at, at that point, there's a lot of hopelessness when you've been kind of chronically incarcerated. And I feel so grateful I get to intersect them at that moment because, um, you know, one of the things that's really difficult about trafficking is that it's it's usually so manipulative, the relationships are usually so manipulative that are involved that most women will not necessarily identify as a trafficking survivor. They're not going to raise their hands and be like, I'm being trafficked. Someone come rescue Mm -hmm. me. It just doesn't work like that. It's so much more nuanced than that. And so what's nice about meeting the girls in jail is that they have this, they've been separated from their trafficker. So there's this moment where hopefully they've hit bottom because they're incarcerated. So (laughs) things are not going well. Right. So they're at that place of surrender that I was on that bathroom floor of, it can't get much worse than this. Doesn't get worse, you know? And, and, um, and then they're, they're, they're isolated from their trafficker. So I actually have an opportunity to start to speak into their lives and start to talk to them about their value there. I love sharing my story with, with girls in the jail, because I think there's, you know, it's one thing to have sort of a good Samaritan come in and say like, oh, you're valuable in the eyes of God, but it's different when it's a sister who's been through it. And I can sit there and yes. say, Hey, I've, I've done it. I've walked your road. I've been there. And let me tell you, like, here's who I am today. I'm in a happy, healthy marriage. I am, I am running a thriving business that just got picked up by Target. I'm, I'm a mom. Yeah. I mean, I'm a wonderful mom. You know, I didn't think I would be such a good mom, but I'm a wonderful mom. I love my little girl so much and I'm able to give her everything and, um, and, and, you know, and, and share her value with her. And, and so to be able to just be that presence of I'm someone who's walked through this and, and look where I am today. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I see hope a lot of times for the first time in these girls. And and is it hard for them to kind of trust uh, the conversation in the beginning? Do you need to kind of, I mean, there's little things I can always share that sort of help build trust right away. You know, like I, I was, um, I did little, I, I did short stints in jail over the years. And, and so when I get up to speak in the jail, one of the first things I talk about is like, Hey, I'm here today. And I got to like, do my hair. I know y'all are pretty, you know, I know you all are missing your blow dryers and your straighteners right now. And just, there's little things where it's like, like, I know how they feel, right? I know how they feel sitting there. And I know how it feels to see someone from the outside who's able to straighten their hair. <laughs> and well, and it looks like you have it all together, Holly. So that's kind of the reason I yeah. asked for you to show yeah. up and them just trust Holly. Look at you. Look, you've got it all together. You're beautiful. You're amazing. You've got this business. I, really? And, but, but you've been there. So they well, can't you're always. relatable. That's mm-hmm. the deal. Your experience is relatable. And the fact that you can tap in brings you legitimate credibility. Yeah, it's true. I do have to like prove it though. You got to prove it. You know, it's like prove yeah. your street. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. right. And, uh, and I have those, I have those ways that I, I can and do that. And, and it feels good to be able to, to build that trust because I would, I would have needed it. You know, I wasn't going to trust some fancy lady coming in from her fancy farm life and her, <laughs> with her, with her <laughs> straight fancy hair, hair and, fancy, yeah, jewelry. And her fancy hat and her fancy jewelry. <laughs> right. I don't trust you. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the project, uh, the jewelry designs, because I know you put a lot of thought into mm-hmm. that. So what's, what's important about all that to you? What do your pieces really represent? We know there's a message. Yeah. I've always loved the word sanctuary. Um, I worked in vocational ministry for a lot of years before I started Sanctuary Project. And so I spent a lot of time in sanctuaries. And um, and I, I was a worship leader. And when you're a worship leader, you have um, you have a really beautiful view of the sanctuary. And, uh, and especially the sanctuary I worked in in Paris, France, because it was 
this incredible, beautiful um, cathedral from uh, from the the late 1700s. And so, I got to see the stained glass windows and the marble pillars and the ceiling medallions and um, and all, and the, all the intricate wood carvings and all these beautiful details in the sanctuary. And um, and those details always sort of jumped out to me. And I started to dream of this jewelry line um, that that incorporated elements of what you'd find in a sanctuary, and that evoked that feeling of sanctuary. So for me, it's, it's the literal sanctuary. Like for me, it's, it's these buildings, right? It's the, it's the stained glass windows and it's the marble pillars and it's, um, and it's the pews and the, uh, you know, the, the wood carved altars and the organ pipes. And it's, (laughs) for me, it's those things, Um, but for other people, it's nature. Right. And so, um, or it's, um, or it's that, uh, that vacation. And so I've, I've tried to just kind of expand on the line with the word sanctuary and, and look at what does it mean? What does it mean to find sanctuary? And in each of our collections, we're making sure we're talking about what it means to find sanctuary. And so um, we have a, a collection coming that's our um, our wild collection, and um, this was actually inspired for me by um, by a vacation that I had in Florida with my family. And I was like, "This is sanctuary for me: the palm trees and and the sunshine." And so it has palm leaves, and it has and it has sun medallions and um, and lions because my daughter has started roaring at everything. <laughs> and, and so um, <laughs> so whether it's you know finding sanctuary in the sun and the palm trees, or finding sanctuary in a cathedral, um, we want the line to just uh, inspire that in, in its in its wearers. Are you doing men's jewelry yet? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, I have a couple. We have a couple bracelets. <laughs> Can you improve on this metal bracelet? As magnet braces that I got here, he loves that. Actually, <laughs> we do. We have so I I, I ha- we have a couple of men who are wearing our our pieces. Um, so uh, Brandon Lake, I don't know if you guys know him. He's a worship leader with Maverick City, and he's uh, so he's been he's been wearing our our chain breaker collection. And cool. yeah, another friend of mine who has a rock band, Missio, who uh, has also been wearing uh, like our stained glass and our and our uh, our chain breaker uh, collection. So I'll get you some. I'll get you some bracelets. We got okay. We got no. you. I've been trying <laughs> to get my cool. husband to do it. He's a little he's a little farm farm life for it. He won't wear jewelry, but not yet anyway. Well, maybe you need to come out with farm animals on go. the jewelry. <laughs> there you go. That's his sanctuary. So go. that would be perfect. There you go. <laughs> oh, well, Holly, I, I just love how you are, are raising up Havana in a whole different way and that she knows that she's valued and that she has a leg up in this situation and that you're leaving a legacy for her. And it's just beautiful. And so it's, you're just never too late. It's never too late and you're never too far gone. And, and I know that's your message. And so I, I want you to speak to those that that really want to help, but they don't know how. Like, what does the average person do to make a difference in modern day slavery? What can they do? For, number one, buy your jewelry. But number two, what else can they and do? I think the most important thing is find those organizations that are local to you and doing the work because it's so different in each region in the U.S., you know, find, find your closest big city. And if they don't have an anti-trafficking organization, find the next big city closest to that. Um, but get connected locally because this is a local, this is a local community issue and we need the local community coming around it. And we need local businesses understanding it and local law enforcement, understanding it and local hospital workers, understanding it. And so getting that community education out there and, and you can do that in your own community by getting your neighbors aware and anyone, you know, who works in the hospitals and the the police force in your community, making sure they, they are educated, making sure they know what to look for. 
And then partnering with that local nonprofit, whether it's financially or through volunteering or however you can help. Um, if you have, if you have gifts in accounting, volunteer for them, help them with their books, you know, mm. um, whatever that, whatever that thing is to, to come alongside the people who are already doing great work in the local community and, and help support them so that they have all they need to do it well. Hey, Holly, tell us before we let you go here, tell us a little bit about your book. It's from, uh, from basement to sanctuary, finding healing and transformation through surrender. And uh, what inspired that? When did you put that out? And what are your hopes for that book? So I wrote it while I was living in Paris, which was um, such an incredible experience and journey. Um, I, uh, how long did you live in Paris, by the I way? I was there almost four years, a little over three years. Okay, and, okay. Um, we're back there okay. often still. So we still have a place there and, and we're back there as often as we can be, which is such a gift. We just have dear, dear friends that became like family. I think when you've lived, um, I was a, I was supported as a missionary there. So I was living as a missionary. And oh, I think cool. when you've lived as a missionary nice. somewhere, you just, it's always going to feel a bit like home and, um, and that's <laughs> Paris for us. But, um, but I wrote that while I was living in Paris, you know, a lot of the recovery meetings take place in the basements of churches. And, um, and I found myself uh, really reflecting on how comfortable I felt going into the basement of the church when I was in that um, that transition phase of of coming out of this life of trafficking, violence, and addiction, and how that church basement really became my my haven, and how there's su- there's such a miraculous spirit of healing taking place in the recovery meetings in the basements of churches, and so I really wanted to share that um, with those in the sanctuary, and then help the the people in the basement understand what's happening in the sanctuary as well, and who the God is that rescues us from that pit. You bring such hope and inspiration. Uh, just, just thank you for putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Thank you for always being transparent and vulnerable. And thank you so much for your passion and your love and your compassion. You know, for those who still need to find their breakthrough. So we we just pray, just God magnifies your yes. voice in yes. big, big ways. Yeah. yeah, because people want to make a difference; yeah. they just don't know yeah. how. Yeah. And so, speaking of that, how can people connect with you and find Sanctuary Project online? I know you. Have a special uh, promo if anyone wants to buy any of your jewelry for our show. It's called uh, Breakthrough 20 and they get 20% off for our listeners. And we'll put that in the show notes. But where can they go to find how they can make a difference? So sanctuaryproject.com. You can shop us there and learn all about the mission there. If you want to give financially, you can also sponsor a survivor there. And then you can find everything Mm. about me at hollychristinehayes.com. That has links to my Facebook, my Instagram, and my podcast, Finding Sanctuary, if you want to follow along there as well. Which is a great new podcast, by the way. Congratulations. (laughs) We love it. Thank you so much for sharing your heart. And um, we pray that this um, continues to educate others and that it does make a difference. So bless you and all your works. And we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Wow. Okay. Mm. That's a tough subject. And I, you know, sometimes I wanted to with her about it. I mean, she's a delight. Yeah. She makes it so much more easy to understand and, and not and have to just, dance around it. Yeah, right? you just feel like she knows how to stir up your passion for this because mm-hmm. it's very real. And let's be honest, most of us are in a little bit of denial in terms yeah. of the the magnitude of the problem because we don't want to, to believe that this could actually happen. But in your own city, in your own city, in your own neighborhood, yeah. like you just do not know. So never um, yeah. dismiss. Uh, the opportunity to and, to step out and help someone. By yeah. the way, like that stranger did. 
for and her when she was on exactly. the back floor crying. Be, yeah, be willing to. It's step okay to up. get in someone else's yeah. business. Like, That's, hey, how are you? How you just can did I... that the other day with somebody. I got actually in their business. did. I did. <laughs> I know. But it's good because I asked people... if I could pray with her, and she jumped out of her truck yeah. and went in prayer, and it yeah. was beautiful. So I'm grateful. I was just thinking too. You know, I mean, this probably sounds a little bit trite and a little bit casual, if you will. But you know, we can pray. We really can. We can pray for those who are involved in this work. There are a number of organizations now that have growing impact. And I even have, a, I'm in on a text string that is put out by a detective that is in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And he has just a, a small group of people who will pray for him as he goes through the whole process of, uh, of busting up uh, trafficking rings. Traffic rings yeah. So mm-hmm. we can, at the very least, which is pray. the most, we can pray. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we hope you enjoy this podcast. We hope that you will go and support Holly and the Sanctuary Project and all of the information will be in our show notes, but go there, go to those websites, make a difference because your purchase of jewelry or sponsoring a, a woman that that needs to be mentored and uh, in a place of, of uh, restoration can make a world of difference. So thank you for that. And we thank you for sharing this podcast. God bless. And we'll catch you next time on the next episode. Well, that's a wrap for today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, we love spending time with you right here on Your Biggest Breakthrough Podcast. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. But until then, just head on over to yourbiggestbreakthrough.com where you'll find some free resources and information and a place where you can comment and we would love to dialogue with you there. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.